This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Yeah, OK, I've been there before. Uh, fortunately, this time we came out on the right side of the result, a penalty shootout in a big game. Yeah, I think when you when you do everything properly in the build-up, and I think we did that, uh, obviously with one or two little distractions, uh, you get your reward. Obviously, David made a really good save. We got a little bit lucky with John's first one, but he, he said that's what he aimed for. At the moment, you have to enjoy them. You have to enjoy it. It's, it's another step towards hopefully making a bit of history for the country. Uh, qualification for Euro 2020 is still in our hands. We know we've got a tough game. We go to Serbia next month, but it's one that we'll look forward to after we've played Slovakia and Czech Republic at home. On the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. Scotland boss Steve Clark delighted with his side's penalty shootout win over Israel. The Scots are one game away from the Euro 2020-21 championships. It's that weird. It is Friday. It's on the ball with me, Ross. Hello. And hello to my very special guests as well. Craig Marias is here. Hello, Craig. Hi, Dave Ross. Hi, everyone. Uh, Bob Holmes is here as well. Hi, Bob. Hi, everybody. And Kishnan also joins us this Friday. Hi, Kish. It's a really good day, isn't it, Ross? <laughs> he's, he's got his <laughs> I Heart Connor Cody t-shirt on. <laughs> do, do tweet at BFM Radio. Do follow us on social media. It's, in, it's a BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel up and running. Uh, it is TFIF on video. Do check it out. Coming up then, we've got the Euro 2020 playoffs. We've got the midweek international friendlies. We'll preview some of your nation's league at the weekend with uh, all the groups in action. But let's start off with uh, some of the deadline day deals because the transfer window shuts Tuesday morning, Malaysian time. In fact, the transfer window is still open for EFL clubs until the 16th. So... There's a lot of talk still going on, but some of the massive deals done. We have to start with the Thomas Party, Atletico to Arsenal deal. Arsenal meets Atletico's buyout clause, uh, without Atletico knowing, apparently. <laughs> they, they pay $45 million. They get Thomas Party, but Craig, there is bad blood between the sides. Oh, there is. I think uh, I think Torreira's gone in the opposite direction as well. Um, in a separate loan. deal, right? Yeah, in a separate deal. Um, but yeah, what a signing by Arsenal. Um, you know, I think that the worst thing for Atletico was, you know, allowing that clause to be triggered on deadline day, which, you know, didn't give them enough time to, to, to find a replacement and someone, you know, as integral as Thomas Partey is to that team. Um, you know, it's not very easy to replace now. You know, whether they have won the kid uh, somewhere down in the reserves remains to be seen. But, you know, if Atletico, uh, I think this season especially is a great chance for Atletico to really, you know, try and, and pit both Real Madrid and Barcelona uh, to that La Liga title. Um, so I think they've recognised that as well. And, you know, losing someone as influential, someone as powerful as, um, as Thomas Partey in that midfield is a massive, massive loss. Uh, for them, so uh, but you know, for for their losses, Arsenal game, yeah, and, and it's uh, and it's a wonderful, absolutely fantastic signing. And I think what Arteta has done throughout his tenure so far was it nine months now, ten months, mm. whatever it is, 
um, he, he's rectified their problems. You know? you know, they've been crying out for, you know, powerful central midfielders. They've been crying out for central defenders. Um, and he's managed to do it all. And, and add to that, that they're playing really good football. It looks like it's going to be a very, very positive season for the Gunners. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Bob, let's go a moaning here, saying Arsenal didn't leave us with enough time. From what you understand, when you read all the reports, Arsenal did inquire about him. They weren't interested in talking. But if you have a 15 million euro buyout clause on your player, surely you'll expect a bid every transfer window, right? Yeah, I think it was the fact that they'd been talking about it for so long. And then it got to the uh, penultimate day. Literally of the hours before. Yeah, and they got a phone call at two in the morning. Uh, someone at, uh, I think it was uh, the athletic, uh, Atletico uh, uh, transfer man. Uh, and that, that seemed to upset them. And, yeah, they didn't have time to do much about it. Um, I mean, you could say that Torreira, who's already signed, was is a poor man's kind of uh, replacement. But, uh, I mean, they already had him. And uh, he's not a patch-on party. I mean, they basically lost their, their key player um, with less than 24 hours to do anything about it. So I can understand them being upset um, Arsenal have been ruthless, uh, just as they were when they sacked 55 people. And Gunnasaurus cracks. I mean, I, I give credit to Arsenal's business here. I think they've done very well in the window. But you cannot mention it without mentioning that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> even that. I mean, I know it, it's a silly thing, but the mascot has been around for about 30 years. The guy that uh, is inside it is an employee of the club, a, a general dog's body, but a very well-liked and very much appreciated dog, dog's body, appreciated by everyone who works with him, but not apparently by the hierarchy. And he's been uh, sacrificed as well. And I mean, if they tell us that this has been done to balance the books, and then they go and pay this kind of money and part is on a very good deal. Yeah. It's cost them 110 million yeah. altogether. I was looking at the details. He's on 260,000 a week for four years. His agent got a 10% uh, cut, and Party also got a two and a half million pound signing on fee. And now they've lashed out there, and I think it is a good piece of business for the club. But to try to justify selling, uh, uh, sacking 55 people for this is just ludicrous and it irritates every time I I think about it. Um, I'm sorry, but I, it has to be mentioned. Yeah. Every time you, you hear about Arsenal doing any business, you cannot avoid thinking about what they've done to get there. All right. Shocking. We, we should also mention that Mesut Ozil has offered to step in and pay the wages of Gunnosaurus Rex, which would make it Mesut Ozil's best Arsenal assist since his signing. All right, on to Manchester United, Keish. Uh, United have brought in four players in the transfer window, Cavani, Teles, Traore and Pelestri. Uh, let's start with the obvious, the man who's been given the number seven shirt. He's the number nine, really. Adinson Cavani. Yeah. 33, pushing 34. Is he over the hill, do you reckon? I mean, 
it, this is another one of those signings where it's it's on paper it looks great and and for all you know it could turn out to be great as well but that's the thing about united right i remember the sentiments on social media i think it was maybe six and a half years ago when man united signed falcao the internet <laughs> exploded ross the internet yes. exploded when man united signed falcao because everyone expected uh, you know, that, that this gung-ho move to completely turn out in United's favour. The difference with Cavani is that people have seen United try to pull shortcuts like this over the last six years. And now that it's happening again, they're, they, 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 they just, it's no longer a surprise. Hmm. In fact, it's just annoying people. Hmm. A signing of Cavani's calibre should genuinely excite individuals, should genuinely excite fans. But given the context of the transfer window that Man United just had, given the context of the way they've been handling their business over the last six years, and given the context that Cavani had been a free agent for months now. Since, that, yeah, since that, PSG let him go. Yeah. exactly the reason why people are just super frustrated about the signing. Make yeah. no mistakes. It's in no way a form of disrespect to Cavani. He's an excellent professional. I like him as an individual as well. He's, you know, he, he spent his... His last few months, you know, on the farms in Uruguay, and you know, he's, apparently he's doing been, ballet as well. Keith. He's been trying out ballet as well, you know, crushing all your toxic masculinity stereotypes <laughs> and whatever. Not love that, absolutely love that about Cavani. I just feel that I don't know if he's walking into Man United at the wrong time. I don't know if he's being set up um, for for a difficult stint. I hope he does well, uh, and I'd like to think he will do well, yeah. but. Um, Cavani signing does not does not uh, you know solve any of Man United's core fundamental problems with the team. Thankfully, it gets Cavani. worse, uh, Kish. Sorry to cut in, but it get, it gets worse. They could have had him seven years ago, but David Moyes. David didn't want Moyes, him. yes, yes. David Moyes. Uh, I'd rather, I'd rather have him on a free. I'd rather have him on a free than the pay <laughs> 50, 60 million or whatever it was. <laughs> thank, thank for, I mean, okay, um, uh, uh, Craig. What what about Tellers? Tellers has come in a, as yeah. a left back. He's he's of age. What he's mid twenties already. He's a, a Brazilian international. It's going to give yeah. Luke Shaw some competition. Is he a good signing? Yeah, uh, much needed. Um, after Luke Shaw's awful defensive display against, uh, you mean his Tottenham disappearance play. off the on the well, left flank? It, it, it was just never in his position, was he? <laughs> um, you know, central defence, central mid. I, I don't know where he was going. To be fair, um, no, he but just what, he just he just couldn't get past Harry Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm even talking about for Son's second goal. I mean, his positioning where he's, you know, he. You know, he just kind of runs away from, you know, the uh, I think it was Aurea down the right-hand side and, and forces Maguire to go out left. You know, it, it was just weird. Um, and it allows the space for Son to, to, to come in. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's much needed. You know, I think Brandon Williams was doing a good, good job last season. I think he would have been adequate. But I think he can right-hand side and, and give Juan Bissaka uh, a bit of backup. Hmm. Uh, but in Tellers, he got a seasoned, um, experienced head there. Um, I do worry a little bit about Brazilian fullbacks in, in terms of their defensive capability. Um, I know going forward, Tellez is, is fantastic. You know, Whitson a great ball, sweet left foot, um, pretty decent from set pieces as well. Uh, but, you know, does it solve United's defensive uh, problems? No. Um, you know, what did they actually need? It, I mean, they definitely needed uh, a centre-back. 
yeah. you know, speaking to a couple of friends, I would have kept Chris Smalling. You know, I, I, I can't understand how they've let him go. Apparently, he uh, didn't want to stay. He wanted the Roma move so badly. Well, he didn't. He, he only didn't want to stay because we were giving him. We were making him trade on his own. Um, you know, he's not involved with the first team, not featured in any of the match day squads, and only pretty much made it clear that he wasn't needed. Um, which baffles me because he's better than anything else that we have uh, at the back. Um, you so you have mentioned Phil Jones. <laughs> yeah, but do we need to? I mean, it's just be wasting time. I mean, I think he, you know, he's not been included in the Champions League squad. I mean, his, I think his time's up, but there's obviously no takers. Yeah. Uh, there's no takers for Marcus Rojo. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of dead wood there that United still failed um, to, to get rid of. Um, I know I know certain countries are still open, so there, there is still hope. Um, but yeah, I mean, Romero's still there. I think he's off yeah. the MLS yeah. soon. But yeah, still, still a lot of outs that United didn't get rid of. All right. Well, the other two United signings are, are more for the future. They brought in an 18-year-old Facundo Pellistri, who's Uruguayan, on the uh, recommendation of Diego Forlan. So, not to be taken lightly. And uh, uh, already got sacked after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Alma Traore from Atalanta joins up in January, uh, awaiting yeah. a, a work permit deal. So, United doing some business, but not really appeasing the fans. Everton announced uh, the signing of Ben Godfrey quite early. They, they've nabbed the defender from Norwich, uh, Bob, for £20 million. Again, it looks like good Ancelotti business here. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of transforming a team, I think Everton have won the transfer window. I mean, there's is absolutely brilliant uh, lot of business there with James Rodriguez, the star. And, you know, it was put out that he cost 20 million. Well, he would have been a bargain at 20 million, but actually it was a freebie. Yeah, he came on a free. His, yeah, his club in his came out. It was, they were trying to keep it hush hush for some reason. But uh, his club, original club um, back in South America, I uh, had a sell-on clause and they asked for their cut from Real Madrid and Real Madrid said, sorry, there isn't any fee. <laughs> so, so that's how we know that it was a free transfer. Now that is one hell of a deal, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. got to be one of the, one of the great free transfers I think of all time. But I mean, although he's called, uh, he's grabbed the headlines. I mean, there's a bunch of others. Uh, I mean, the solid uh, signings, uh, of Godfrey uh, have almost been forgotten compared mm. to the impact that uh, Rodriguez has had. But um, what about the midfield? Allen, yeah. who unfortunately got injured, a bit of an undersung, uh, unsung hero in midfield, but he only costs just over 20 million from Napoli. A Brazilian midfielder, real hard worker, real playmaker. And then Ducuri from Watford. Yeah, he's added solidity. Yeah, I mean, what? That's a that's a midfield trio there, for what less than fifty million, and it's absolutely transformed the team. And they've also signed a reserve goalkeeper to give Pickford some competition because they were a bit weak there. So I think Everton have done the the best business uh, of anybody, even though they haven't spent as much as Chelsea. Chelsea have spent the most, but in terms of actually changing the team uh, then I, th I think Everton have, have uh, I would say take my hats off and uh, Ancelotti 
these guys, some of these guys wouldn't have gone to Everton, certainly not Rodriguez, yeah. without Ancelotti being yeah. there. So you, you're seeing the benefit. I mean, it makes you wonder why Ancelotti went there, doesn't it, actually? I, are you trying, manager. Bob, are you trying to tell me if Moyes was there, Rodriguez wouldn't go? I doubt it somehow. <laughs> well, Moyes, Moyes wouldn't want Moyes, him. He, he wouldn't have wanted him. I mean, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so he would have said he's got Theo Walcott. He doesn't need damage with Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old David Moyes. Eh? <laughs> speaking of Theo, um, so yeah. Speaking of Theo Walcott. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just on David Moyes, the best thing he's done is stay at home for West Ham. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely amazing. The I mean, thing the, is, the best, the, thing, the the best thing, thing he did to keep his job is stay at home. The, the funniest, thing, work. funniest thing I read on social media, guys, was that David Moyes is working from home, but he's still managing Manchester United. Mario Goetzer has joined PSV Eindhoven on a free after he was released by Dortmund. He's 28 years old. Did the Premier League miss out on something here, Craig? On a player? No, I, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, it's not the same Marigotza that, you know, won the World Cup for Germany um, those, those years back. Um, it's, you know, injuries have played its part. I think he fell out of love again uh, for a while as well when he was at Bayern Munich. Um, it just hasn't, you know, his career didn't really kick on after that, that moment. Um, and I, I think going to a club like PS, uh, PSV, um, is good for him. You know, there's, there's not much expectation. There's not not much pressure. Um, he, he can enjoy his football again, which is is always going to be the most important. And he's he's only what 28. Um, he, he's still got you know quite quite a few years ahead of him. Um, so he's still got enough time to um, move on from PSV and 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 make you know make his name at a big club. Um, you know, in, in the future. So I, I think he's made the right move. It's, it's the right decision. I mean, it, it says a lot when you've been, you know, you, you talk about Edison Cavani, you know, being free the whole summer. Coates has been exactly the same and yeah. no one came in yeah. for him. Yeah. No one was even linked with him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, good, good choice for him. I think, you know, going to a league where it's a lot more technical, I think his skills will be um, displayed a lot better there. Yeah, go on, can I just point out that Mario Goetze in 2017, he was diagnosed with a metabolic disorder called, I think it was myopathy or something like that, which, you know, uh, which sort of made his muscles struggle to perform at their full function. Okay. And, and, and as a result, he was sort of out of the game for a while, worked very closely with the Borussia Dortmund physio. So uh, I really think he, he is trying his level best to get back to the player that he was around the 2013 to 2015 era. Uh, but he's struggling at the moment. And I think that is exactly why clubs have sort of stayed yeah, away from him. Yeah, no one yeah. questions his talent. No one questions yeah. his ability. But it's it's more about the fitness concerns. And I mean, I genuinely hope he rediscovers his form. I genuinely hope that he finds uh, a way to get back to his best. Yeah, absolutely. We all wish Mario Goetze the best at PSV. We're going for a break. When we come back, we'll talk about new young England. Brilliantly done. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Wonderful control and superb execution. That's it. It's all over. This is a big win. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. It's the international break. Woohoo! The international break shows are so much fun. 
because that's just not, <laughs> no script. You know what I mean? <laughs> we've got Craig here. We've got Bob here. We've got Keish here. Uh, Bob Holmes, England beat Wales 3-0 uh, early this morning, Friday morning. It was, um, it was a dominant win. We saw debut goals for Dominic Calvert-Lewin, for Connor Cody, and, and um, uh, who else got? Uh, Cal. How can I forget Danny your word? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good well, performance. It was, uh, yeah, it was. I mean, uh, without getting too carried away, Wales were without uh, their two best players, uh, Gareth Bale and uh, Aaron Ramsey. But um, a welcome uh, return to form for England. Uh, put the smile back on Gareth Southgate's face after a pretty troubled uh, few weeks. Uh, off the field, mainly. Um, it, the uh, absence of the three guys who uh, gave Tammy Abrahams a <laughs> surprise birthday party, actually, um, it, it opened up the, the team and um, one or two new faces got a chance, notably Calvert-Lewin uh, and um, Rhys James came on for his first cap. Yeah. Uh, Danny Ings started. So it was an all-round encouraging performance by second and sometimes third stringers. Uh, Nick Pope even played in goal. Yeah. So Harvey Barnes yeah. came on as well. Yeah, Harvey Barnes. So, yeah, it showed that England do have a lot of young players. Um, it didn't look like it when they had those two previous games in uh, September against Iceland and... Denmark, they struggled quite a lot there with stronger sides than this. But uh, there was a, a buoyancy uh, about a verve about this team and led by Calvert-Lewin, who looked, he looked the part, didn't he? he did. Leading the line. Yeah. He, he really did. He's absolutely on top of his game. He's never been more confident. And although Harry Kane is obviously bound to get the starter's role the captain's armband for the for the big game against Belgium. I think Calvert Lewin um, is going to push him, and I don't think they can really play together. I, I can't see how they can, mm, but mm. Kane has certainly got a good deputy there. Um, so yeah, o overall um, heartening stuff uh, for England. And Jack Grealish, I have to mention him. He's yeah, man of yeah. the match. Everything yeah. came through him, didn't it? Um, I mean, he. He just took to international football like to the manner born. I mean, he uh, it was just like he was playing for Villa, running everything, uh, got an assist um, and uh, was not overawed by the occasion at all. So great stuff for England that they've got somebody like that, uh, a genuine number 10 who can uh, who can basically run the game. I think that's what they've been lacking. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Encouraging stuff. But Keish, three nil is only made possible because of the solidity at the back, and the solidity <laughs> brought by the goal-scoring central defender Connor Cody. Yeah, you, you you got it absolutely right, Ross. I mean, I, I echo Bob's sentiments when I say that I genuinely like the look of this England side. Now, there's a couple of extra factors. One, it was Wales. Um, this wasn't. This isn't one of those, you know, big powerhouse European nations. But the second thing is also the fact that I, I, I liked this this England side a lot because it felt like the players that were playing, 
like they were not ready to take things for granted because a lot of these boys wouldn't naturally be starters like your Calvin like your Danny Ings yeah. they know that they're not going to start you know well, actually, think, actually think it's the whole squad really um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, no, exactly. uh, maybe Harry Winks yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. A, a lot of them looked like they, they were not ready to take their take this opportunity for granted, and that's what you need when you play for England. You should be able to have that mindset yes. that none of this should be taken for granted. And they were they were at their absolute best because of it. Even the, the work rate was absolutely impressive. The mm. amount of distance that they covered, um, and Conor Cody. I mean, what else do we need to say? We know about his defensive ability. We've seen through you. <laughs> 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 We've seen him be the rock of that of that England. Every time I watch Conor Cody for England, Ross. I mean, it's only been a couple of times, uh, but but every time you watch it, I I I I can't help but you know it it brings me back to 2014 when I was so frustrated because in 2014 my favorite central defender in the Premier League was Curtis Davis, who was wow. playing for Hull at that point. And that <laughs> wow. And, and that season, no, specifically that season, Ross, he was really good that season. And I'm telling yeah. you, he, it, it was an absolute bad decision to not bring him to the World Cup that year. He was far better than your Smallings. He was far better than your Joneses. And it, it used to be such a frustrating thing that defenders from smaller club in the Premier League uh, generally don't get picked, even though they, they, you know, they share a bigger workload because they yeah. get attacked more often yeah, yeah, uh, compared yeah. to centre-backs and bigger teams. Um, Curtis Davis missing out in 2014 was frustrating. So it's good to see Southgate giving players like Conor Cody a, a, a chance because he's been terrific and he's been um, um, absolutely brilliant for England so far. Two games, um, you know, rock solid at the back and he, he's got a goal even now. Ah, and he it's... took it like a Brazilian striker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. And, and, and it was I mean, a great finish, yeah. It was, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? The, the reaction on his face that says yeah. you know everything yeah. about yeah. what it, what uh, it should, what it should mean to yeah. don the jersey of a national team. I, I thought it was the reaction of the teammates which was which was really good as well. Yeah. You know, yeah, the, yeah, the exactly, yeah. everyone just you know just was just thrilled for him. Um, yeah. you know just go go this you know everyone will say it's Wells and everything but everyone fails to 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 understand it was England's second side effectively. I mean Yeah. I think maybe if any, maybe two players from that team would play against Belgium. Yeah, um, it, it's going to be a totally new squad uh, that that kind of comes in. Um, I thought Wales were really poor. You know, England dominated everything, possession, chances. The, the one chance they had was from keeper Moore. Um, you know, and Nick Pope came out, made himself big, fantastic save, got a knock to his face as well for his troubles. Um, I thought it was very impressive. I liked. I thought Calvin Phillips. Wasn't very impressed with him the first time round, uh, but played a lot better um, uh, in this game. Um, and yeah, I mean, Jack Grealish, I think the, the, the problem with Jack Grealish is his position. Now, if you look at the England setup, you've got Sancho, you've got Sterling, you've got Rashford. Um, you know, the, the, there's a lot, you know, he can play in a more central area, but England don't play with a 10. Um, and, and, and you know that moment where he just stepped off the left wing he started off on the left wing when he yeah. stepped off the left wing moved over to the right did a little bit of magic uh, with his feet and got that ball in uh, for, for Calvin Lewin you know I mean that, that's what you like you know someone that can just do something which is unexpected you know and, and just kind of changes the game uh, by just a bit of movement uh, and that's what he can do so well you know yeah. um, I, I just worry for him I, I love Jack Grealish uh, I love, love him in this English setup, but to see more of him, I, I just don't understand. I, I just don't see, sorry, uh, where he fits in. 
um, in terms of a regular starter. I mm. think off the bench, he obviously gives you a good option. Well, Dyer and Winks are so hard to knock out of the squad, aren't they? <laughs> well, Dyer's a centre-back now. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, very quickly, going into the break, then some of the Euro 2020-21 playoffs. Uh, Scotland, Bob, are one game away from making the finals. First final since 1998. They had a penalty shootout win over Israel. They will take on Serbia in the final. Um, what do you reckon? Uh, Scots need a break, don't they? Uh, they certainly do. <laughs> As was pointed out to me, they haven't had extra time since 1961. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a stat for you. But, I mean, even just going back to 98 is, um, is long enough, isn't it? And they were, they were um, in the finals of uh, the World Cup in France that year. And, I mean, they'd always been in the finals practically every year. Yeah. Um, they thought they were going to win it one year, didn't they, famously? <laughs> um, 78. Ali, Ali McLeod, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah uh, so it's a mark of how they've uh, slipped down the pecking order. That, and it's all, well, not all, but partly down to the um, the TV broadcasting uh, deal, meaning they the big clubs there can't um, get the top players or can't keep the top players. And uh, also, they're just not producing them. Mm. There was always a, a supply line of great Scots in most uh, English uh, championship-winning teams. I mean, look at Liverpool when they had Alan Hansen, Dalglish yeah. and Sunis. Uh, going back further back, I remember Spurs, they had Bill Brown and John White, uh, uh, nicknamed the Ghost. Great players, Dave Mackay, people like that, absolute legends, two or three in every team. Um, and that, that supply has just dried up. Mm. So this is overdue. And it was good to hear Steve Clark saying, I think we're building something here. I know. Because he's, <laughs> he's not known for hyperbole. Um, he's, he's a very... Um, Dower. <laughs> yeah, feet on the ground uh, guy. But for him to say that uh, is significant, I think. They do have one or two good young players. Mm. They've got Andy Robertson, of course, yeah. at left back. I mean, he's, he's their best player. Um, and... Uh, Serbia are not the Serbia they were, but going there is going to be a tough, uh, a tough ask. Um, you'd have to say the odds are against Scotland making it through, well, but uh, I hope they do. That's next I, I look at this Scotland. I look at the Scotland side, and, and they're, actually, they're they're not bad on paper. I mean, you, you look at the quality they've got. You, you touched on Andy Robertson. You know, Kieran Tierney. Um, yeah, yeah. is another one. Uh, I don't think he played last night, though. But, Scott McTominay you know, Scott played McTominay, yeah. Scott McTominay, Ryan Jack, um, you know, John McGinn, Ryan Frazier came off the bench yesterday. I mean, they, they've got a decent team, you know. I mean, Premier, you're talking about Premier League quality. John Fleck, um, I think, is in the squad there, so I don't think he played. Um, but there is talent. What they do lack is just that extra bit of quality at international level that you need up front. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you don't have a goal scorer, I think, you know, it all, it's always going to hurt you. And, you know, Oliver McBurney, for, for, you know, however much he tries, you know, he's never going to be that clinical striker uh, for me. Um, so, so I think that's really where, if they can unearth a striker somewhere, um, you, know, make it, you know, they could be onto something. Looking for the next Duncan Ferguson. 
or Joe Gordon <laughs> going back even further. All right, going into the break, just enough time to say that Northern Ireland are through to the final. Uh, they, they beat Bosnia 4-3 on penalties. They were due to face the Republic, but the Republic lost on penalties to Slovakia. So it's Northern Ireland against Slovakia in next month's final. Second break, back with the midweek international friendlies next. But what a chance that was right on the stroke of our time. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Has come up with uh, something beyond the ordinary. That is a brilliantly elastic save. This is On the Ball on BFM 89.9. And we are back. Back with Bob, back with Kishnan and back with Craig. Uh, you can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Do check out the YouTube channel we have. It's TFIF on video. Some international friendlies, some very high-profile international friendlies took place uh, midweek, uh, starting with Portugal nil, Spain nil. Quiche, you know who kept the clean sheet for Spain? Kepa Ariza Balaga. Don't yeah. you know? I mean, even in the pre-match uh, press conference, he spoke about the fact that um, that he that he felt good that. Uh, that he, I think, I think in a way, in a very weird way, Edward Mendy's arrival takes a bit of pressure off mm. his shoulders. Mm. I mean, now he, it puts him into the second goalkeeper spot, but he's no longer looked as the only candidate to be able to save Chelsea at the back. Because prior to this, they were comparing him to Caballero, and and the fact that Caballero was starting over him was a bit shambolic because Caballero is old, no longer as good. Uh, but but when it comes to Mendy, you know, it's it's no shame in admitting that yeah, I've got a good competition now and now I can take a back seat and just try to work as and, and try to get to his level yeah. um, and, and the way he spoke about it during the pre-match press conference uh, left me a bit surprised and I thought yeah he looked confident um, and he came on for a pretty solid performance as well I mean Portugal didn't have too many chances but when they no. did have key ones he pulled off really good saves um, I, I thought it was a good performance um, but the other one that caught everyone's attention was Adama Traore yeah finally made his this- debut but this is the interesting one, Ross, because for this this particular transfer window, Traore received call-ups for both Spain and Mali. Um, but he picked Spain, and as of now, technically now, he's still not tight yet because it's a friendly game. Technically, if he wants to, he could walk out of this court and then represent Mali, and it would be all it would still be all uh, you know completely fine and dandy. But uh, but I think at this point, he's, he's he's made up his mind, and I think Luis Enrique really really likes. Um, having a, uh, a Dama Traore because because he offers something completely different to every other Spanish player in the squad. He yep. gives them that pace, that directness, and most importantly, that strength um, that they just lack sometimes on the flanks. And he, he's going to play a very big role under Luis Enrique, I think. Yeah, yeah, and and they can oil him up before games as well. Spanish olive oil. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, nil-nil there. Uh, Ronaldo played, didn't score. Uh, but France yeah. did. France put seven past the Ukraine, Craig Marias. <laughs> Olivier Giroud is now France's second highest goal scorer of all time. He's now got 42 goals. What, uh, six behind Thierry Henry, is it? Yeah, I mean, I mean this is a striker or player uh, that really gets criticised a lot. Um, just because, you know, amongst a group of talented footballers with a lot of flair. You know, he's not really that type of player. 
But what he does is a, is a job. And, and I think, you know, it's always harsh to criticise him because he's there for a reason. I mean, he does a job and it clearly works for France. He works in that system. Um, and it, he allows, you know, your Griezmanns, your Mbappes and, and, and players like that to kind of flourish uh, within that system, uh, whether it's from a physical point of view um, or, or, you know, whether it's, you know, the fact that, you know, they can play off of him with this, you know, long balls, he can hold it up, yeah. you know, any way that they want to play, you know, he's that focal point of that attack. Um, so I, I never felt that he, he really got the credit that he deserved, especially during the World Cup. Um, I, I think he didn't score during the whole World Cup or something like that. Um, but, you know, yet they went on to win it. Um, so, you know, when, when people look at stats like that and say, well, you have a striker that doesn't score, I think, you know, you know, when it comes to the league, you know, and he has something like that, yeah, it's a bit of a concern. But then, you know, the flip side of that is someone like Roberto Firmino. He doesn't really score a lot of goals yeah. anyway, yeah. But, but he gets praised a lot for the, for the work that he does. Yeah. Uh, but Giroud never kind of gets that same kind of credit. So it's, he's an easy target all the time. Um, but what a performance this was from France. Um, you know, you talk about, you, we were just talking about Spain and, and we didn't really touch on it, but, you know, they're, they're in the midst of rebuilding that team. You know, you look at your Eric Garcia's, Daniel um, Olmo, all young Daniel players. Olmo, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and can you touch on Adama Traore? Sabios uh, is coming into it a little bit more. It's Canales. the same with France. They had Kamavinga. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and you know when you look at France, seventeen-year-old Kamavinga coming in and scoring. <laughs> I mean, how how amazing is that scoring? I mean, this is a kid. I think over the last couple of years, I think last year maybe uh, that we've seen a lot of. And we've heard a lot of, there's been a lot of noise uh, from France about this kid. Um, and I think he was, he's been in and around the national team since last year um, uh, as well. Um, but what a player, what a player he, he, he's going to be in. And no doubt the scouts will be swooping on him, um, you know, by next, next season's transfer window because um, he looks like he's going to be a real top talent. Um, and, you know, you look throughout, you know, Hossem Oar yeah. played as well. No, very good play. Anthony Marshall. Now, you know, it might be a bit weird that I'm bringing him up, but he hasn't really featured for the national side until recently. Um, you know, Net was never really the Sean favourite, um, but but now he's starting to get some recognition. Um, uh, you know, and then and then uh, Upa Kamego. I can never say his name. Upa Kamego. Upa Kamego. Oh, that guy. Yeah. I mean, he he's starting to really, you know solidify his place in that French national team as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really good times. This is, you know, we spoke about England and, and the kind of reserve side and the youngsters coming through that. That's one. We, we spoke about um, Spain. France is the next one, you know, and we haven't even touched on, uh, you know, teams like Holland. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, you know, the future is, is rolling in, Ross. It, it, the, the old boys are slowly getting phased out. Absolutely. Bob, Didier Deschamps is more than a water carrier then, huh? <laughs> yes, um, he's certainly making a good job of uh, managing France. Uh, and uh, he's very fortunate to have all this talent at his disposal. I mean, we talk about the England uh, setup and they have got a decent crop of youngsters. But when you look at the French, they're not in the same class. Exactly, this Camavinga, yes. Yeah. Kamavinga is billed as the next big thing. And I mean, you, you've only got to take a brief look at the video 
uh, to see the confidence in a 17-year-old. I mean, he scored it. It was an overhead kick. It, it, you know, it was from just outside the six-yard box. It might have been inside, but it was still an acrobatic uh, effort. But his general play, the confidence in which he took the ball, I mean, he looked absolutely as if he'd been playing this game for 20 years and he's only just 17. So I think they've got somebody really special there. And when you look around the, the, the side, they've got top players in just about every position. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to take some shifting as world champions. They've, they've got to be favorites for the, for the Euros, I would say. Yeah, they, they, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good point there. So we've spoken about England rebuilding, Spain rebuilding, um, France, obviously, with a great crop of youngsters, Italy were 6-0 winners over Moldova. Kish, they're rebuilding with a 33-year-old striker up front, <laughs> Francesco Caputo. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, it, it, it was Moldova, Ross. I mean, <laughs> it was Moldova. That's the caveat. Moldova. Let's not, let's not read too much into it. But, but make no mistakes. I mean, I, I think Mancini is... Is doing a pretty decent job. Yeah, um, you get the feeling he's instilling confidence in that side, right? Yeah, and and, and they're playing they're playing pretty decent football. I, it, I'm not a huge fan of their dependency on veteran players, but uh, at, at this point, you take what you have, you make the most of what you have, uh, and and essentially, to be fair, Mancini even started with a list of second stringers. Yeah. Cristante, Parati got their first goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a lot just, of players. Just, was was anyone surprised that El Shuar is still in that squad? Yeah, there, there you go. He's captain. I thought he was a thirty-three-year-old. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I, he must have been around forever. I, I yeah. checked it. I checked the, the the net immediately because I went. Doesn't he play in China? And then he says, "Yeah, yeah. I said more." And you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So that that's that's honestly been my uh, major beef with with the Italian national team. Uh, their dependence with you know certain players. It's when it's past the time. It's past the time. You you've got to just move on and give the the younger players because there's a lot of talented youngsters playing in Italy. You see by the number of teams trying to sign Italian youngsters year in year out. Yeah. You, it's just a matter of uh, giving them a, you know, like a simple example, right? I just want to compare Kamavinga. Kamavinga was called up to the French under-21 team for the first time in, I think, November 2019. And a year, less than a year later, less than a year later in August, he was already being being scouted for the national senior team already. Yeah. And that's how quick the transition can be if you're good enough to do it. Now, I'm pretty sure they are supremely talented Italian youngsters or you know, youngsters in any other team as well that can make that jump. It's just a matter of whether the manager and the national approach wants to be geared towards you know giving youngsters a chance. And I think it, don't get me wrong, El Sharabi is a terrific player, sure. Um, you know, Caputo is, is is a great striker as well. But there comes a point, especially when you're trying to prepare for you know big tournaments like Euros, especially when you're trying to to overhaul the squad and bring in younger names. You, you you've just got to bite the bullet and sometimes take the risk but it, it was a good win it was Moldova but it's still a, a, a pretty good win 6-0 uh, I think call-ups like that mean you know the doors are always still that little bit ajar for people like Mario Balotelli yeah. to come in <laughs> <laughs> so at, this, you know, at this point at this point I think even Del Piero fancies his chance <laughs> <laughs> Mancini hey, I... himself might come back <laughs> and did, did he play his son? did he play his son? I don't know actually Mancini I don't know. 
No, I don't think he did. No, I don't think he did. He did. did he start the back, though? No, I don't think he did. Uh, don't know. We'll check on that. Anyway, good yeah. win for Mancini's Italy, although it was against Moldova. Frank De Boer started his Netherlands reign with a defeat. 1-0 against Mexico. We're going for a final break. When we come back, then, we'll take a look at the Nations League. Talk about the Germans next. This is On The Ball on BFM 89.9. A two-goal lead, a picture of a goal, and that should be job done. Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back, back with Keish, back with Craig and with Bob as well, taking a look at the Nations League, all four groups in action. Um, and uh, let's start with Group A4, because they're playing Saturday night, Sunday uh, morning. Both games kick off Sunday, 2.45 a.m. Group A consists of Spain, who are currently top on four points. Ukraine are second on three points. Germany are third. Two games played, two draws, two points. Switzerland are the bottom side. Uh, Germany take on the Ukraine away, Bob Holmes. The Germans had a 3-3 draw against Turkey in midweek. It's weird. They, they, for some reason, this Germany side, this time round, aren't doing so well in qualifiers and stuff like that. Normally, they blitz them, don't they? They played 11-1-11. Yeah, um, but they uh, they didn't do so well at the last uh, tournament either, did they? Um, but they're they're rebuilding and they rested a couple of players for this. Uh, Neuer was rested, so Leno played. Um, I mean, he's been in brilliant form for Arsenal this season. Um, I don't think he was at fault for any of the goals. Um, but they did a very un-German-like thing in conceding a last-minute goal. I know. To draw the match. It's usually them that's scoring it, isn't it? Uh, coming the, back the, from the, the dead. The positives, Kai Havertz stood out for all the yep. right reasons. Yep. I mean, he's had a fairly quiet start to his career at Chelsea, apart from the hat-trick in the League Cup. But it was the League Cup. It was only Barnsley they were playing. But... Um, he uh, he's coming along. I mean, you can see there's a talented player there and he's very young. He looks even younger. He's 21, I believe. Um, yeah. He looks like a teenager, actually, and uh, looks a bit shy. He's not sort of uh, commanding the stage, as it were, at Stamford Bridge yet, um, but we're probably glad to get back in the, in the Germany 11 and um, scored two goals. So, yeah, um, I think they, they'll, be, they'll be contenders. It, this is not a vintage Germany, I don't think. Um, but they, they'll still be difficult to beat. Mm. And non-vintage German sides have won the World Cup before now. Yeah. So you never write them off. Yeah. Um, so uh, Turkey did well. Um, yeah. I mean, I think they'll be, uh, they'll be chuffed to... to Hold Germany to a three-three draw. Mm. Um, that that was that's good for them. Uh, one or two Premier League players. You know, uh, just going back on Havertz. Uh, I think his main problem is the fact that no one really knows where his best position is. Yeah. I mean, where does he I play think, for you know, Germany? Where does he play for in the ten? Well, he plays. Yeah, he plays in the ten. So so between the eight and the ten, and and obviously got you know he doesn't have to drop back. You know, he's got more of a license to go. 
Well, United Chelsea, this first match, he was out on the right wing. Yeah. Um, then, then the second match, he was up front and Timo Werner was on the left. And, you know, it was just all a bit of Lampard just trying to fit him in there and, and you know, deciding on, you know, if he scores, if he gets a return, you know, that must be his best position. Um, without, well, it seems like he hasn't done enough research on him and, and looked at him when he was at Leverkusen. Um, and see where he fitted in the best. You know, at Leverkusen, he was, he was either a 10 or he was up front, you know, so he didn't really have to bother about coming back and chasing back and, you know, like he did in his first game against Brighton. Um, so, so I think, you know, to see the best of Kai Havertz, you know, you, you need to, I, I still think it's a 10. Mm. You know, if, if, you, if you want to get the best of Kai, Kai Havertz, it, it's as a 10. But, you know, your system has to play a 10. And if it doesn't, then, you know, you you know, are you going to revolve the whole team around him? And, and you know, that's the dilemma right now. And, and you know, someone as young as Kai Havertz, you know, it's, 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 it's quite hard because it's come for a big fee. And, you know, if he doesn't perform and, he, you know, the pressure starts to build slowly um, and he could get sucked under pretty, pretty quickly. So um, it's up to Chelsea and Lampard to find a solution for that. All right. Well, it, it won't be easy for Germany. Andrei Shevchenko uh, is now the manager of the Ukraine. Uh, legend. He, they're unbeaten in 10 home matches, nine wins and one draw. Also in that same group, Spain take on Switzerland. Let's move on and, and look at group A1, Kish. Bosnia against Netherlands, Poland against Italy. The Italians is quite close, this one. Italy lead the table on four points after two matches. Netherlands, a point behind, three points after two matches. Poland also on three points. Goal difference similar to Netherlands. Who do you fan? I mean, it's early days still, but uh, do, do you fancy the Netherlands? I mean, let's talk about them because the Boa is now in charge. Yeah. Uh, they've they're in massive rebuilding as well, aren't they? Yeah, and, and and I think I think the one that could get hurt the most in this group is the Netherlands. Uh, don't get me wrong, I, I absolutely loved the work that Ronald Koeman was doing. And that's that's my fundamental problem with this Netherlands side. I think he he obviously left for a for an opportunity of his lifetime, right? To go back to Barcelona, to become the man who's supposedly gonna save. Though I think, though I think he's gonna be turned into a scapegoat over there not too long from now. But uh, you know, from his point of view, it's the dream job. So I don't blame him for leaving. But I think he left just at the point where he was you know, getting this Netherlands side completely back on track because we saw under them they were playing some good football. They were getting the best out of you know players like Memphis Depay. Even Ryan Bubble was back in the in the squad at some point under Ronald Koeman. Uh, the the defense at the back, they licked. Uh, you know, your your Donny Van de Beek looked looked great. Frankie De Jong looked looked great. So I I thought there was a lot of potential for this Dutch side under Ronald Koeman, and now that he's gone. Um, and I know it's early days, and I know it's we shouldn't judge a manager by his first game. Uh, but I thought the Netherlands were really, really poor the other night. Yeah. Um, I, I thought they, they they looked like they were struggling for ideas on the pitch. It, they were it lucky kinda, to get away with a one nil loss, really. It, it, they were. They really were, Ross. Uh, and and that's the thing. And 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 I hope it's it's just you know you know uh, first game. You know they they they're probably not. Entirely understanding what uh, De Boer wants on the pitch. Uh, I, I fingers crossed. I hope it's that. But if it isn't that, if they do continue to struggle under De Boer, I think they could they, they could be you know in for a really difficult yeah. because I, I, I'm not just looking at Poland here, Ross. I'm looking at Bosnia as well yeah. because uh, last month I was watching the Italy Bosnia game and I remember thinking to myself they aren't a bad side. 
they really aren't a bad side. There's a lot of good, talented players in that team and they were really stretching um, Italy and created a lot of good chances in that game. So, it's it's not just Poland you've got to be worried about. You've got to be careful about Bosnia as well. They're not too far behind. All right, that's Group A1. Bosnia, Netherlands, Monday midnight. Uh, Poland, Italy, Monday 2.45 a.m. kickoff. Uh, England are in Group A2. They play uh, midnight Monday, Bob Holmes, and it's England versus Belgium. Are we going to see England revert to type here? <laughs> boring, uh, boring. boring. <laughs> 1-0 loss to Belgium. I fear they might. Uh, Southgate <laughs> is a very cautious uh, manager. Um, I mean, that game the other night was, last night was, um, you know, it was, a, it was like a free hit for him. You know, he... He couldn't pick half the players because they were either being disciplined or um, <laughs> unavailable. So I mean, he he threw in the and the youngsters, and he, and he was rewarded for it. But um, I don't think we're going to see the same kind of energy and gung ho drive that we saw last night. Um, this will be an altogether more cagey affair. Well, to be fair, the opposition is very very different. Belgium are ranked number one in the world at the yeah, moment. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's littered with, with stars in, in virtually every position. Um, and it's, it's uh, away from home. So this is a pretty tough ask. This is one of the toughest games that uh, Southgate has faced in, in his time. So knowing the kind of guy he is, he will play safe. He will try to hold Belgium and nick it on the break. You can, you can see this coming. Um, Harry Kane will will start. Uh, I don't think we'll see Jack Grealish. Uh, we probably won't see Calvert-Lewin. It'll be a totally different side. It'll be uh, Kane, uh, Rashford and um, Sterling up front, which is not a bad Sterling's trio, going. to be fair. Sterling's pulled up. Yeah. Uh, Sterling's, uh, Sterling's injured, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, um, for, I was forgetting about that. Um but uh, the st- I still doubt if Grealish will get in there. He'll probably be on the bench. I'd love to see him. I'd love mm. to see him come on mm. and test himself against a top side and really see what he's made of. But no, I think this would be a cautious affair. And uh, it's, a very, it's a very, very tough game. England have probably got the toughest task of anybody next yep. week in, or this weekend uh, in the competition. So I'd be surprised if, if they can pull it off. Okay. Uh, England, Belgium, Monday, midnight. Iceland, Denmark, Monday, 2.45 a.m. Very quick word, Craig, about uh, Group A3, the standout tie, France versus Portugal. Um, I, I think this one's going to have loads of goals. I hope it's going to be a, a humdinger, seven-goal thriller, this one. Yeah, I'd like to think so, but I thought the same thing about Portugal and Spain. <laughs> that kind of kind of ruined it for me a little bit, um, but yeah, I mean on paper, I mean this this should be two strong teams going going head to head, and you know putting a full team out and, and really going for it. Um, you know, it it says goals all over it, doesn't it, Ross? Um, it like does. You said. Um, and the, you know the good thing about the Nations League, there's there's something to play for. You know, so so that you know, in terms of substitutions and, and rotations and things like that, they did that with the friendly matches that they had just before they come into the, the Nations League. You know, so so this, I mean, you got two absolute blockbuster matches this weekend with with um, Portugal, France, and 
and, and England, Belgium. So, yeah, um, if I had to call it, I, you know, I, I can't not back France. I, I think, you know, whether it's a reserve side, the under 21s, their, you know, their senior team, you know, they, they're just strong in, in, in all departments, really. Um, but saying that, you know, I've been, I've been looking at this Portugal side recently and, and they, they're starting to get depth. And the one thing that I always worried about Portugal was their depth or the lack of it. Um, but, but you look around that squad now um, and, you know, maybe it's because of this Wolves connection because they, they've all kind of blown up in my face now, um, all these Portuguese names and players. And, and, but you, you look at that and you say, oh, OK, I mean, that's a really good squad to yeah. have, you know. Yeah. Um, um, so, so it's not going to be easy for France, not, not at all. But uh, you'd think that France would probably just about edge it. All right. Brilliant stuff. That should set you up nicely for your weekend's action. We're going to be back on Monday to talk about it. Uh, for now, I need to thank Kishnan. Cheers, Ross. I need to thank Craig Marias. Thank you very much, Ross. And thank you to Bob Holmes as well. Thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Spot you Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On The Ball on BFM 89.9. It is Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.